Good morning, Lakeview Church. Hey, before we jump into the message, just want to give you a quick, quick update about Lakeview Christian School. As our Christian school uh, was ending the school year in May, our head of school, Justin Simus, let us know that he was uh, going to be stepping away and going to work at another school. And so our school board immediately went to work, and they've been working diligently this summer, prayerfully just considering next steps as they're developing a plan for the school year, which begins now in just a couple of weeks. And in their July meeting, our uh, school board actually unanimously recommended Rebecca Schrantz to serve as our interim head of school. And I don't know if Rebecca is in the room. Up there. Okay, she's, she's above us. Now that she's got this new position, she's above us. So... Um, so, but uh, Becca is a member of our church and uh, has served at Lakeview Christian School for a number of years in a variety of capacities, and uh, just so excited to have her step into this role. Just this last week, our local board of administration met, and we unanimously approved the recommendation of our school board, and I want you just to take a moment and welcome Becca into this new role, so... <clears throat> I had my first meeting with her this week, and I know that she covets your prayers for Lakeview Christian School. School's just a couple of weeks away, and you know this is just a busy time of lots of preparation, lots of things getting organized and situated for the school year. But I wanna just encourage you, as you remember Lakeview Christian School, I want you to pray, obviously for Becca, I want you to pray for the administration, I want you to pray for our faculty, but most importantly, I want you to pray for those students. We want them to have a great academic year. We want them to learn more than they knew when they came into this school year. But most importantly, we want those kids to discover more about Jesus Christ. And so I want you just to pray for Lakeview Christian School, that God's spirit would just be so evident and so real in that school this year. Can you do that for me? This is yes. That's the only acceptable answer, okay? So this is yes. So be praying for the school. Hey, we're finishing a message series today, and we've been talking about living scent over the last few weeks. We've been looking at the person of Jonah, and we've discovered kind of two key components, kind of foundational elements of what it means for us to live on mission with God. The first one is the importance of obedience, right? Jonah, remember, went the wrong direction, and he had to turn around and go the right direction. God needs people who hear his voice who are surrendered to his direction and are willing to go where he sends and do what he says so that he can use us to advance his mission in this world. And that's the importance of obedience. And then last week we talked about the, the, the importance of developing a compassionate heart, that it's not enough to just do what God wants us to do. As important as that is, we ought to do it with the right heart. Right? God, God doesn't just want us to kind of behave in the right ways. He wants us to have a heart that aligns with his heart. And we talked about the fact that God loves the world and God wants to redeem the world and bring the world back to himself. And, and he's trying to shape our hearts to look just like his. And so with those two foundational elements in place, I want to talk to us today about a way for us to live sent, to actually live as everyday missionaries, to live on mission with God. And this morning, I'm going to give you a challenge, a, a challenge to implement what I'm calling the live sent strategy. 
And, and we're going to get to that challenge in just a little bit. But before we do that, I want to just kind of unpack 2 Corinthians 5, which Dave read for us just a couple of moments ago. And I, I want to help you see a couple of things that I think are really important for us to understand and know as we think about living sent. And the first of those things is that God is on a mission. When you read this passage of scripture, what you find is that Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. What, what you discover in that verse is that God is on a mission. And what is the mission of God? It is to take all of these people who are living separated from a relationship with God and bring them back into relationship with himself. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. This is what God wants. This is what God is working on. In fact, if you keep reading in 2 Corinthians 5, you get down to verse 21. This is how God acted to reconcile the world to himself. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see, God is on a mission, and we have to recognize that. Now, the second thing we have to recognize, not only that God is on a mission, but God has invited us to join him on that mission, and that makes us ministers of reconciliation, right? In order for us to, to think about what it means to, to live missionally, to live sent, to, to live on mission with God, it means that we are ministers of reconciliation. God is on a mission to reconcile the world to himself. This is what God is up to in the world. And when you stop and you just ask yourself the question, how does God accomplish his mission? The answer is us, this is how God accomplishes his mission. It is through you and me. That's how God does it, right? My friend Dwight Robertson says it this way, you are God's plan A and there is no plan B. See, you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we are ministers of reconciliation. But let's look at the passage so that we can see it in verse 18. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is our job. This is the task that we have been given as God's people. Look at verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. See, the bottom line is this. You and I, we have a mission-critical role, literally. Literally. If, if we don't do this job, it will not get done, right? God is on a mission, but the way that that mission gets accomplished is through people like you and me who are living as ministers of reconciliation. So the question then becomes, how in the world are we supposed to live as ministers of reconciliation? What are we supposed to do, right? I think the church has been really, really good at telling people what they're supposed to do, but not how to actually do it, right? And so, so I'm not gonna be that kind of pastor today. I'm actually gonna tell you how to live on mission with God, how to be a minister of reconciliation, how to be Christ's ambassador in your world where you live, how to live 
sent. And I'm gonna unpack this strategy. It has three parts. It's very simple. And, and if you're note takers, I can see you already. You're, you're all, you've already got your pen out and you're ready to write. Some of you are like, note taking, that's what you do in school. Well, school is in session. So I wanna just encourage you this morning to take notes because I'm gonna give you a very simple strategy that you can use to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an everyday missionary in our community and in our city. And, and, and I wanna give you this strategy and the challenge that I'm giving you is over the next four or five months, between now and December 31st, I'm challenging everybody in our church who is a follower of Jesus Christ to live out this strategy. Now, I hope that it will carry beyond December 31st. But I'm asking you as Lakeview Church, God's people in this body of believers to live out this strategy that I'm giving you between now and the end of the year. And I am asking God to do a new work in and through us that will result in many people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, even this fall. We're heading into 21 days of prayer starting next week. And, and the main reason we do that it's not just to draw closer to God, though that will happen in 21 days of prayer. We go into 21 days of prayer because we recognize that if, that if anything's gonna happen in Lakeview Church this fall, it's gonna be God doing it. Because we're just not that good. We're just not that smart, right? We need God's help. And so we go to prayer and we say, God, move and work. And, and we're gonna pray for God to draw people to himself this fall. And I am praying for us to see people coming to faith on a weekly basis this fall. So I'm gonna give you the strategy. So hopefully you've had time now to get your pen, your paper, your device out. Here's the strategy. There's three parts. Part number one, share your hope. Share your hope. And I wanna encourage you to look with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's gonna be on the screen. And this is what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So it begins there. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this strategy will be used by you at some point in the future after you come to faith in Christ. But, but right now, it begins with you revering Christ in your hearts as Lord. Right? So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have to have a sincere faith and a sincere connection with Christ. And then look at what it says next. Always be prepared to give an answer. Just stop there, because this is the main reason people don't share their faith with others. Because you're worried that you'll be asked a question for which you do not have an answer. Am I right? Some of you are, for, I know I'm right, because some of you have told me, listen, I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, and I don't know all the details of theology, and here's a little secret, I don't either. I don't know anybody who knows every answer. That's not what we're called to. This verse does not say, be prepared to answer all questions that are ever asked of you about anything to do with the Bible or to the, or to the doctrine of the Christian faith. That verse does not say that. You are actually not responsible to have an answer for every question. In fact, I'm gonna tell you how to answer the questions when you don't know the answer. Just say, I don't know the answer. It's really okay for you to say that. And then, and then after you say that, just say, but I'm gonna do whatever I can to find the answer for you. 
and then call Pastor Jared. <laughs> Just tell him you don't know. It's fine. This verse does not charge you to know every answer to every question. Look at what the verse says. Give an answer to everyone who asks you this question. What's the reason for the hope that you have? You just need to be able to answer that question. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have hope in Jesus Christ, and you ought to know how to answer that question. But in case you don't know how to answer, I'm going to give you a little outline. I told you it's going to be really practical today. Here's how you share your hope with others. And this is how I share my hope with others. When, when these conversations start, the first thing that I tell them is how I realized that I needed Christ. Now, I grew up in church. I went to church every time the doors were open. And because my grandparents were the janitors and they had keys, we actually went sometimes when the doors weren't open. We went to church all the time. I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school, kindergarten through 12th grade. I, I, I was in the Christian culture. But, but I had so many misunderstandings about the Christian faith because I grew up believing that Christianity was just a religion that was built on a bunch of rules. Maybe some of you have the same kind of understanding of the Christian faith that I thought God was like this big rule maker and judge. And so he made a bunch of rules and then he kind of monitored our performance in comparison with those rules. And so on good days, when I followed all the rules, God liked me. And on the days, which were more often than the days where I followed the rules, God didn't like me. In fact, God was like, good, now I can get him. And, and that might sound kind of funny to some of us, but, but, but a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's how you view God as a rule maker who really is expecting your performance to be the deciding factor about how God feels about you. That's how, that's how I lived my life. I grew up in that kind of environment. And then here's what happened. After a while, I realized I can't keep all the rules. And so then I just basically said, why try? So I just, I just kind of left all that behind. I was still going to church. I was still going to a Christian school. I knew the right things to say when I was around the right group of people where I needed to say those certain things and behave in those certain ways. But the rest of the time, I just lived however I wanted. And I, I found myself searching out friends and activities and I got involved in habits and I made choices that weren't pleasing to God that had nothing to do with the rules. They were way out of bounds for what God wanted from our lives. And, and I just kind of... I just kind of lived however I wanted, except when I was in those certain places. And then I kind of played the game. And Christianity was really just a religion that was about my performance, and my performance wasn't very good, so I kind of left it all behind. Except as I pursued all of those things, I, I just kept coming up empty. It's like no matter how much fun or how many friends or, or, or all of those choices that I pursued or the paths I went down just seemed like I could never get what I actually needed to fulfill this thing that was missing inside of me. And so it just kept coming up empty. And I, I, I realized in that moment that I needed Christ. 
And then after I tell people that part of my story, then I tell them how I committed my life to Christ. In that season, there was a particularly kind of dark time where my friends had let me down and, and, and I had pursued some, some things that were just bad choices and I'd gotten in a little bit of trouble and, and, and I didn't know how I was going to get out and, and, and it just seemed like everything I was doing was supposed to create fulfillment and joy and, and happiness, but it just wasn't satisfying at all and there was no peace. And, and I started to realize that as I went into this dark season of life that that I, I just couldn't get out of it. I didn't have the capacity to deal with it. And it was right in that moment that my parents drug me to a Friday night church service. And I'll just be honest with you, there is not any part of me that wanted to be there. I, I literally was made to go. I think my parents promised like Red Lobster after church or something. And it was like, okay, there's at least a reward at the end, right? And, and, and I went to this church service. So my parents were, uh, they didn't ever sit in the front row, but they always sat in the second row and always on this side. And so there we were on Friday night sitting in the second row, did not want to be there. And, and as I sat in that second row, God just kind of started speaking to my heart. Because see, I thought, I thought that Christianity was really about my performance and God just kind of sat up there judging my performance and looking for a time to condemn me, to get me, to, to judge me. But what God started showing me in that service was that in fact, Christianity is never about my work. It's never about my performance. It's about the performance and the work of Christ. And it's not about a religion. It's not a set of rules to follow because we can't follow them anyway. We're not that good. It's about the work that Christ did on the cross to pay for the fact that we can't follow the rules. And it's about a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and as I sat there on that second row, God just began really just sharing the essence of the gospel with me. And on a Friday night in a service I didn't want to attend, waiting for Red Lobster. I found my way right down to the altar. And I knelt there with my parents on each side of me and my pastor in front of me, and I gave my heart to Jesus. See, I needed Christ, and then I committed my life to Christ. And then I tell people about how Jesus changed my life. Tell them about the impact that he's made in my life since that moment. And the reality is, is that all that fulfillment, all of that happiness that I was seeking, I realized that only true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true meaning and contentment, true purpose, true life can only, only ever be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's my story, but you've got one too. And it follows the same exact outline. If you're a follower of Jesus, there was a moment when you realized you needed Jesus. How did you come to that moment? And then you committed your life to Christ. What was that moment like? And then how has Jesus changed your life? You need to identify those three parts of your story so that you can share your hope with others.
And as this world seems like it's falling apart at the seams, when your life is steady and stable and at peace, people are gonna say, what's different about you? And you're gonna be able to share your hope. That's the first part of the strategy. Now, second part of this strategy uh, is something we're gonna talk about over the next few minutes, but I've asked the ushers and I hope that they're ready to serve us. But I've asked the ushers to, to help us. And they're actually going to come and they're going to pass out uh, what I'm calling live sent packets. And these live sent packets are going to come to everybody in the room. So everybody needs to have one. Okay? And they're just little, little envelopes that look like this. We're going to talk about them over the next few minutes. And while they're coming to start doing that, I'm going to start talking about the next part of our strategy. So we share our hope. And then the second part is we share, you need to share your church. You need to share your church. Now, this has been a strategy that's been used by the church, particularly North America, for the last several decades, and it's been used with great effectiveness. That, that your job is to, to go out and find your friends and, and get them into a weekend service where they'll, they'll experience the presence of God as the people of God worship and, and they'll hear the gospel presented and they'll respond and they'll begin to follow Jesus. And, and And that strategy's worked well. Admittedly, it works less effectively now in our culture. Right? There's a whole group of people, we're going to talk about them in a minute, who will never come to a church service no matter what we do. We can put on the best show that the world has ever seen, and there are people in our community and in our world right now who will never dawn the doors of the church. They just won't do it. And we're going to talk about how to reach them in a minute. But there's still about 40 or 50% of the population here in the Midwest that would come to a church service if you invited them. So we're going to talk about how to share your church. Now, anytime we start talking about this, there are people in the room who will say, this is just about making our church bigger, right? We just want to get a bunch of people here so we can say how big our church is. And I want to just stand in front of you. I want you to look right up here at me. That is not true at all. If we're just aiming to get Lakeview Church bigger, we are aiming way too low. And we have missed the heart of God. Here's why we invite people to church. Because heaven and hell are real. And your friends, if they don't know Jesus, will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell if they die without receiving him in their hearts. And so as long as heaven and hell are realities, we have a job to do, to invite people to church. So how do we do that? Well, that's this part of the strategy. How do you share your church? The first thing that you have to do if you want to share your church is you have to make a list. You have to make a list. A list. And so here's what I want you to do. There are some pens that are in the, the, the back of the pews there. And I want you just to grab those. And, and I actually am going to give you like 60 seconds right now. And, and I wish I'd have thought in advance I would have given the Jeopardy theme song to play right now. But, but this is just a moment for you to just tune into the voice of God and say, God, who are the people in my circle of relationships that do not know you? If you're a student and you go to school, who are your classmates that don't know Jesus? If you live on a street and you know you have neighbors around you who don't know Jesus, what are their names? People that you work with, are there people who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I've done. I want you just to write their names right on the front of this envelope. Just write their names right there. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a family 
And you just want to write the family name. That's what I've done for a couple. Maybe it's a, a family member, a spouse, a child, an aunt or an uncle. Maybe just write down their name. I'm going to just give you 20 or 30 seconds here to just write down a list of names that come to mind that God brings to your heart right now. Make the list. Most people have between three and 12 names that come to mind. And if you're finding it right now to be a struggle, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I don't have a name, you need to ask God to, to put you in some new places where you can connect with some people who are far away from God. Because you can't be a minister of reconciliation where you're bringing people who are separated from God into a relationship with God if you're not connected to them. Okay, so you gotta make this list. Now you got this list, what do you do with it? Second thing I wanna encourage you to do as you think about sharing your church is pray for the people on your list. Even if you fill the list with 12 names, if you spent one minute every day praying for that name, you could give 12 minutes of your day to just interceding for these people, just asking God to draw these people to himself, to give you and other Christians opportunities to interact with them and for their hearts to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you make a list and then you pray for them. Thirdly, thirdly, you add value to them. Everybody in our world has needs. You have needs, I have needs, and your friends have needs. So as you think about a strategy to share your church with people around you, just add value to the people that are on your list. Just look for needs that they have and then find ways to love them and care for them and serve them. Just minister to them. Add value to their lives. And then, fourthly, invite them to church. And that's what the inside of the, the packet's about. Inside of this envelope, if you open it up, there are some invite cards. And I'm not asking you just to kind of drive down the bypass and throw them out the window. You would have missed the, the whole point. The point is, the people on your list, the names that you've written down on the front of this envelope that you've been praying for, that you've been adding value to over the next several weeks, look for an opportunity to invite them to church. Now, some of you are like, do I need to bring people to church with me every Sunday? And, and maybe for some of you, you have the gift of evangelism and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. But for most of us uh, who are not gifted evangelists, the thought of trying to get 52 times every year people to come to church with you, that's just overwhelming. So I wanna make it much, much simpler for you. 52 weeks in a year, I'm going to let you come to church 50 times by yourself. 
You can just come for your own benefit, make connections, drink coffee, have ice cream on ice cream Sundays, do, do whatever you do at church for those 50 weeks. But then two weeks out of the year, I want you to bring someone with you. That two weeks out of the year, you'd have a friend or multiple friends sitting with you in that row. And I'm going to tell you right now, you might think that ice cream Sunday is your favorite Sunday of the year. By the way, there was a little girl who started coming just recently with her family, and, and, and we had ice cream a couple weeks ago, and then, and then last week we didn't. And she was kind of walking through the lobby with her mom, and she had kind of like a sad look on her face. And, and I was like, what's wrong? And her mom's like, she's looking for the ice cream. So maybe we need to have ice cream every Sunday. I don't know. But here's the, here's the thing. You might think those are your favorite Sundays, but I'm going to tell you what your favorite Sunday is going to be when your friend accepts Jesus. We'll get to the end of that service, and I'll say all heads bowed, all eyes closed, but you're not going to close your eyes because you're going to be looking out of the corner of your eye. Is this the day that my friend will raise their hand? And when they raise their hand and they accept Jesus, that will be your favorite Sunday of the year. And I want every one of you to have one of those Sundays this fall. We are intentionally designing our services and our messages to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and to give people every single week an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can bring your friend any Sunday, any Sunday, but I'm going to tell you when the message series are that are going to be the best, and I'm telling you right now, September and October, I've been working on a message series from the Gospel of John. We're going to talk about the conversations that Jesus has with people, and every single week, people are going to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond. So I want you to pray for your friends during 21 days of prayer, and then I want you to find a way to invite them to church on any Sunday in September and October. Say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I'll take you to Red Lobster. Well, you can't do that. We live in Marion. So you got to find another place, right? Pick one of 13 Mexican restaurants and take them there, okay? Okay. Bring your friends to church. The third part of the strategy is, I think, the most important one, and it is going to become more and more important as our world continues to go in the direction it's going. See, the reality is, is that while 40 or 50% of people in the Midwest will respond to an invitation to come to church, there's 50 or 60% of the population that will never respond to that kind of invitation, which means if we're going to be ministers of reconciliation for those people, we actually need to share Christ with them. That you can't, you can't get them here so that someone on this platform can share Christ with them. You're going to have to share Christ with them. And I'm going to tell you how to do that as well. How do you go about sharing Christ with people in your life? The first thing that you have to tell them about is the problem. And the problem is sin, right? And the real problem is that all of us have sinned. It's a problem that impacts every single one of us. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and they fall short of God's glory. 
See, the reality is, is that God is holy and sin cannot exist in the presence of God. That's why even if we want to have a relationship with God, if we don't find a way to fix our sin problem, we cannot live in relationship with God because as sinful people, we cannot be in his presence. This is the problem that every single one of us has. And the reality is, is that while all of us have sinned, the, the, the reality is, is that sin requires a payment. This is what Romans 6.23 tells us, right? For the wages or the payment or the penalty of sin is death. See, sometimes people think that God sends people to hell because he's mean, he's, he's a condemning judge. He just wants to get people and, and he wants to kind of push them into this place called hell. But the reality is, is that the only reason people go to hell is because they have to pay for their sin. Sin requires a payment. There is a wage for it. And the wage or the payment of sin is always death. But, but here's the wonderful reality. Jesus paid the price for your sin. That's what Romans 6.23 tells us, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the solution for the problem that we all have. He is the solution. And the reality is, is that Romans teaches us about this too. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Sin always requires a payment and the payment is always death. This is why Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. He pays the price for your sin. He was the only one who was qualified to actually do this because he's the only sinless person who's ever walked on the face of this earth. So we have all sinned and we fall short of God's glory, but Jesus is perfect without sin, right? Roman or 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Jesus is the only one qualified, which is why Jesus can say without any apology, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, we live in a world that says all roads lead to God, and it's just not true. And, and I know people will say that's bigoted or that's hateful, and it's wrong. If you know the answer, how could it be loving to allow other answers to exist? No, we have one answer, and his name is Jesus. He died for your sin. He paid the price. It's not about your work. It's about his work. We have a problem. We've all sinned. We have a solution. His name is Jesus. And Acts chapter 4, 12 tells us salvation is found in no one else. There aren't enough good deeds that you can do. You can't be nice enough, kind enough. You can't go to church enough, be religious enough. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself, only Jesus. There's only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And so once you understand the problem, which is sin, and the solution, which is Jesus Christ, all that's left is the response. And what is the response to this truth? Right, in John chapter one, verse 12, Jesus says to those who believed him and accepted him. In other words, they, they actually welcomed Jesus into their life. He gave them the right to be called 
the children of God. What's the response? You have to decide, are you gonna go it on your own or are you gonna accept the payment that Jesus has made for your sins? That's the decision. And if you believe in him, you put your trust in him, you accept him, you're a child of God. Simple as that. As we think about you know, the way scripture unfolds this in the book of Romans, because we've talked a lot about Romans this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says it this way, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This is the response that we're invited to, to believe in our heart to say, Jesus died for me. He made a way for me, paid the price for my sins. And to confess with your mouth, to make a vow, to make a covenant that you're gonna live for Jesus, that you're gonna stop living for yourself and you're gonna live fully for him. As a church, we're called to share our hope, we're called to share our church, and we're called to share Christ. But right now, there are some people in this room who need to respond today to the gospel. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door and let me in, I will come in to that person. I will begin to have a relationship with them. And some of you right now in this room, you're experiencing God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's not going to bust down the door of your heart. He's not going to overtake your life without your permission. He just wants to come in and he just faithfully knocks on the door. And all you have to do is open the door of your heart and invite him in and he'll come in. And you'll be a child of God. He'll forgive your sins. He'll make you into a brand new creation. And he'll change your life forever. He'll give you the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you are looking for. And so right now, I want to invite you, if you will, just to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. I want this to be just a private moment between everybody in this room and the Lord. So nobody else is going to inter intrude or interfere with this moment that you're going to have with the Lord right now. But if you're here this morning and you sense the Lord knocking on the door of your heart and you're ready to accept him, listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna draw attention to you. I'm not asking you to come down front or sign your life away. I'm just simply asking you if you're ready to let him in today, just to raise your hand. This is a private commitment right now. Baptism is the place where you go public with your faith. So is there anybody in this room right now that would just raise their hand and say, you know what, today is the day. I, f I feel the Lord asking me. Just raise your hand up high. I just want to be able to pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. You can put your hand down. Anybody else this morning that would just raise your hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah. Anybody else this morning? For the two of you that raised your hand, I want to just invite you to pray a prayer with me. And again, still nobody looking around. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And here's the thing. You can pray this out loud if you want to, but, but you can also just pray it silently right where you're at. 
I just want, I want to lead you in this prayer. I'm going to say these phrases and I want you to repeat after me. And as, as you do, I just want you in your heart to make this truly the prayer of your heart today. So pray with me. Lord, I know you want to live in relationship with me. And I know that I need a relationship with you. I also know there's nothing I can do to earn the right to be in that relationship. Thankfully, you've made it possible through Jesus Christ for me to have a relationship with you. Today, I'm opening my life to you. Today, I'm publicly affirming that I want a relationship with you. And today, I'm surrendering my life to you. Today, I'm deciding to follow Jesus and to live my life for you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for welcoming me into a new relationship with you. And thank you for giving direction to my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, we just had two people in this room accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I want us to just celebrate that this morning. I want to just remind you that next week we are going to launch into 21 days of prayer. And church, I'm just telling you right now, I really believe God wants to do something great in our midst this fall. And I believe it starts in prayer. We're going to be in this sanctuary every weekday morning, Monday to Friday at 6.30 a.m. We're going to be spending time in prayer. You say, what do we do during those times? We pray. We read a passage or two of scripture, and then we turn some music on, and we just spend time praying. We just cover this place in prayer. And if, if you say, music distracts me when I'm praying, we have the prayer room, and we don't play music in there. You can go in there, and you can find a quiet place for prayer. But every weekday morning, I just want to encourage you to be here, 6.30 a.m. You say, oh, I can't. My work schedule doesn't allow me or whatever. I want to just encourage you to find some space in your day then to pray. Come, come on your lunch break and go into the prayer room and spend time in prayer. Listen, we'll, we'll make space for you. We just want you to be in prayer. We are building a culture of prayer because we believe that that's what God responds to, is the prayers of his people. And that's what he's invited us to. On Saturday mornings, we'll be here at 8 a.m. We're gonna have a, a time of worship. We'll have a time of devotional from the word. And then we're gonna spend about 45 minutes in prayer. And on Saturday mornings, we open up all the ministry spaces. You'll be able to go through the hallways and the classrooms and just pray for God to move in our midst. And then on, on Sundays during 21 days of prayer, we're gonna have extended times of prayer in the service. And I'm gonna be doing a message series called The Spirit-Filled Life. Listen, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to a victorious and effective Christian life. And I think there are a lot of us who don't understand fully the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so during the month of August, as we're giving ourselves to prayer, we're gonna search the scriptures together and ask the Lord to help us live the Spirit-filled life so that we can become everything that he wants us to be. And and all of that is a preparation for what we are asking God to do this fall in our midst, to bring people to himself 
and to use Lakeview Church to make a difference for him in this community. Amen? Can you stand with me as we go from this place this morning? My brothers and sisters, as you go from this place, remember that you serve a God who is on a mission and you are his ministers of reconciliation. So as you go from this place, I want you to go as sent people to bring people into a relationship with God. God is making his appeal through you. You are sent from this place.